Well, good evening. Welcome to Monday night of our missions conference. It's good to see each one of you here. Thank you to all who made food and brought it. We have eaten our fill and there's plenty left over. And uh, that seems to be a common theme around here. Thankful for those that provide and provide well. And thankful for the God that provides so that we can do that. I know Brother Jan will ask you this in a little bit, but I want to remind you so you can be thinking. Uh, he handed out some tracks on Sunday morning. Maybe some of you might have a testimony of a way the Lord might have used you today to be able to hand one of those out. So if you do be thinking about that, you'll have a chance to do that in a, just a little bit. But uh, this evening, and we're going to do this each night this week, wanted to highlight some different things, ministry focused in evangelism and in teaching our uh, folks, even in our own church and reaching people in our community that people are doing in our church. And so I've asked Brother Josh Tanner to come and share with us a few things about his ministry here at our church, and then he'll open our service in a word of prayer tonight. Brother Josh, thank you for coming. All right, well, um, as all of you know, I'm sure, uh, on Sunday mornings, we get to take the children out and um, do junior church back there with them. And um, when we kind of looked into beginning that ministry, or not, not beginning it, but, but us be getting, getting involved with it, uh, we set the verse of Philippians 3.10 that I may know him as the theme. And the goal was to have a children's ministry where the children uh, would, would know Jesus Christ as their Savior, not just know the Bible stories and um, know who Noah is and know who, who Abraham was and, and the things that happened to them, but rather that they would know the, the God that they served. And um, so that was, that was, that's been our goal. And so when I teach... Um, I set every month a theme, and whether that theme has been faith or obedience or truth um, or God or um, um, now I'm drawing a blank now, some of the other subjects that we've done, each month we take a certain subject and then taking the Bible stories and some of these, some of these um, truths and scriptures found through, through just throughout the entire book, the entire Bible, taking those and teaching the truth um, to the children. And so every Sunday morning we have the privilege my wife and I, of doing that, and um, we're just thankful to be able to serve the Lord in that way. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, I pray that you would just work tonight here through the service. I pray that, um, Lord, tonight there would be, um, Lord, just good preaching that would speak to our hearts, and, um, Lord, that you would work through by your Holy Spirit um, to convict us. Lord, help us as we grow closer to you, Lord, and have a desire to um, preach and share and telling, Lord, the good news of what your Son, Jesus Christ, came to do for us on the cross. And uh, Lord, we pray all this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you tonight. Uh, got a lot to look at tonight in the scriptures. Um, first of all, uh, I'll start it off. Today, we went to um, a warehouse where we were working out of, uh, and a good friend there who comes to the church here periodically. Uh, and there was a young Chinese, well, he's not young, there was a Chinese man there. And, of course, we're working uh, in China. Uh, we're trying to open the door to China. Uh, and um, the, uh, we got to talking. He lives in Hong Kong, but he also has a home in Canada. And one of the reasons that he has a home in Canada is he's deeply afraid of the situation in China right now. And folks, it is bad over there, okay? They're blowing up churches. 
there have been several churches that they've just taken dynamite to and just blew them out of existence. Uh, the new leader over there uh, is a, he's had laws passed that make him almost eternal dictator to the day he dies. Uh, the situation with the uh, trade embargo, or the trade situation, one of the good things that has happened from that, and he pointed this out, not me, he said the Trump uh, uh, new way of handling China has forced him to come out of the shadows and has forced him to uh, answer the questions about uh, China. And uh, that's good. That's really good. Uh, he, he has been, uh, you know, just, uh, of course, the press is, uh, you're not going to hear the full story about all of that. But I, I, I was able to talk with him. We talked for a good while. In fact, uh, the, tr the visit was a lot longer than what we thought. And so when I got back, I decided that, I told him I'd like to have his business card. And so he gave it to me. So I was able to uh, take his business card and I wrote about our ministry and I said, I want you to understand something. We are a faith-based organization. And I said, as a faith-based organization, we believe that every man needs Christ. And I said, the reason is because we're sinners. All right? Uh, and God, through Christ, His Death, burial, and resurrection basically was the idea. Uh, has provided forgiveness of sin. Uh, and uh, I, I gave the full gospel to him. And uh, I think he'll read the whole thing. He said his mother was working in a church in Canada right now. And then was traveling to India and doing work. And he wants me to meet his mother. And so uh, I, I believe that he will read the entire gospel. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Uh, and I'm going to keep writing him, giving him more uh, reason to recontact me and, and to uh, believe in Christ. I'm hoping that uh, as a result of our uh, contact with one another that he'll trust the Lord. Uh, and uh, that would be wonderful. I'm just thankful that I had that opportunity to meet him, talk with him, and then give him the gospel in written form, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, he will get saved. Did anybody pass out a track today or anything that you have a testimony about? All right, that's fine. Uh, be sure and pick up some more if you need them. Uh, if you don't have the gospel tracks... Please pick them up and uh, uh, distribute them. All right. Uh, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I have a video that I want you to watch. Uh, this video uh, talks about uh, the boot camps we have for young people. So, brother, if you would take the moment and play that video.
through Christianity, demonstrates goodness to the world. Romans 12.21 states, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. When good works touch the heart of man, the Spirit of God reaches the soul. Operation Renewed Hope believes that today's young people desire a life ministry that demonstrates God's goodness. Boot camps conducted by Operation Renewed Hope prepare youth from ages 14 to 19 to travel with medical teams around the world, taking the gospel through good works. Young people gain valuable experience in the boot camps, which prepare them to apply overwhelming goodness to a world opposing God. They gain a practical understanding of Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Their lights shine brightly through medical missions conducted by Operation Renewed Hope, a light ministry to the world. Sadly, America's youth live in an indolent and self-indulging culture. ORH boot camps oppose this culture by posing hard and difficult challenges, compelling teens to go beyond their self-imposed limitations and comforts. All boot camp experiences develop teens both spiritually and physically. The camp experience teaches respect and builds compassion toward those attending the medical clinics in which the young people participate. Activities include campsite preparation, digging latrines, building fires, site preparation for Dutch oven cooking, meals ready to eat experience, and wilderness exposure, toughening the body, the spirit, and the mind. The young person is introduced to skills necessary to live in a difficult situation as others do every day around the world. As part of the daily schedule, physical problems are presented, creating mental, spiritual, and physical challenges, requiring critical thinking development. Survival course challenges present the teen with the need to develop stamina, courage, and unity of spirit with others. Daily physical training demonstrates to the teen that he is strong and capable in Christ. The teen prepares and serves alongside medical professionals, missionaries, and evangelists in the medical clinic. Medical training includes Red Cross certification for first aid and CPR, basic stitching skills, training to be a dental assistant, and equipment skills to be an assistant to the optometrist. Safety is always a concern, and teens are taught basic and specific safety guidelines according to the region of the world in which they will work. Helicopter evacuation and water safety training are essential components in the safety training. Spiritual training is incorporated into all boot camp events and instructions. There is a constant message of, your life is not your own, but Christ living in you. As the week progresses and the challenges mount, this message becomes real in the hearts of the teens. Closing dog tag presentation gives the young person the opportunity to resolve, I live, yet not I. It is Christ that lives in me. Literally, I am dead to self and alive in Christ. The week is full, the benefits are manifold, and the opportunity is to give the gospel in some part of the world through a medical clinic. Over the years, young adults and teens who have experienced the boot camp atmosphere prepared for the jungles of Panama and Peru, the islands of the Caribbean, the rivers of Cambodia, the mountains
mountains of Mexico and the plains of Uganda. Operation Renewed Hope is in the Ministry of Worldwide Rescue and Renewal to help relieve human suffering, to revive human souls, to know their Creator. Boot camps are scheduled every year. Our representative will now explain where and how you can get involved. Our uh, goal is to help the young people to realize that not everybody lives like we do here. We, and uh, we try our best to teach them to respect the people uh, that they go to. Uh, we tell them we're not interested in them traveling if they say, oh, we just feel sorry for them. Uh, that's, the, you know, that's ridiculous. Uh, and uh, I, we, we show them by putting them in the situation that the people that we're going to help are in, that we could not function as they do. They're actually smarter and brighter, stronger. Uh, if we're the only people on earth that stand on national TV during a disaster and cry because we don't have ice, the rest of the world doesn't even know what ice is, okay? Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, and uh, we are... So we put the young people in these conditions... Uh, and after a little bit, they really began to appreciate uh, the people around the world who uh, make for themselves their home. They can take a stick, a string, and a rock and build a house. We can't. If we don't have electricity, oh man, uh, what will we do, you know? Uh, most of the places we go have no electricity. Uh, and if they do have electricity, uh, it's a rolling brownout or blackouts. They might not have any care. Uh, and so this is why a lot of our kids are not going to the mission field. And this is also the reason why if you go to the mission field, you'll find out that most missionaries live in the main city. Uh, and it's just like living in Miami. Okay, it's uh, just identical. Uh, it'd be like living in Houston for the most part. Uh, and so therefore, if you go into most towns, there are very few American missionaries that venture to the interior of that country. Very few. Okay. Uh, and uh, as you get further and further from the main town, you just don't find missionaries. And that's a, that's a crying shame. Uh, that uh, 95 percent of the missionaries are in five percent of the world and yet that's something we have to deal with so uh, love to have your young people believe me they'll have a good time we'll take them to the mission field we'll teach them uh, and they will do uh, very well we had 23 teens last year uh, I forget how many the year before uh, we've got a boot camp coming up here shortly uh, in June, and I think we've got 12 or 14 on that. Uh, we try to hold it to 15 because it's very intense. Uh, actually, we have uh, just as many workers as we do teens. 
because uh, we're, we're training them uh, and it's necessary. So uh, pray that the, the Lord continues to bless us uh, as we try to work with the young people. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, let's just rehearse. Remember, uh, we have an official commission. We are ambassadors. We have an official ministry, okay? We are in the ministry of reconciliation. That's what an ambassador does. He tries to bring his nation together with another nation and to live in peace. And that's exactly what God wants from us. Reconciliation is God making man acceptable so there can be peace between he and man. Okay? Uh, then we saw that there was um, an aspiration that we would be acceptable, Paul says. Uh, then we saw that there was uh, um, a passion, that's persuading men. Uh, and so I think you understand that. And then last night I dealt with uh, there is a uh, loving uh, constraint. And that's the fact that we are constrained by the love of Christ to reach the lost. Tonight I want to talk with you about the role of the church in this situation. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to be reading in chapter, one, or chapter 2 verse 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made to all men. For kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator. Once again, we find one of the most important verses in the doctrine of soteriology in our study, okay? There is only one person. It can't be a, a human priest on this earth who might absolve you of your sins or pray for you at your death and uh, uh, give you absolution. Uh, no, there is one mediator. It's not us. It's not your pastor. Uh, it's not a Bible teacher someplace. It's not a guru there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. All right? Uh, so this is one of the main verses in the study of salvation in the Scriptures. Uh, it goes on to say, Who gave himself a ransom for all. He paid a ransom. Sin held us. He destroyed sin. And we were ransomed to God. To be testified in due time. In other words, the appropriate time. Uh, and then it says this. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. Uh, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. 
You know, that's the real problem uh, that we have. We have a dislike for the lost. They don't fit our, you know, way of doing things. They don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They have ambitions which are not like our ambitions uh, sometimes. You know, we have real consternation. Uh, we have it inside the church. It's not just against the lost. We are, uh, we are sometimes very angry at God. I've had people tell me I'm very angry at God because I have prayed about this and God did not answer, so on and so forth. You know, I like uh, uh, Anne of Green Gables when she said, uh, uh, God gave me red hair and I've never liked him since. You know, that's the way people are, aren't they? Uh, and so uh, there is... After this wrath comes doubting. Okay? So if there's in your heart a feeling that God has not treated you fairly, you need to take care of that because it will lead to doubt. And I've seen people actually leave a church, uh, leave Christ. Uh, He didn't leave them. They left him. And they become bitter and angry. Okay, prayer is an essential part uh, of the entire ministry of the church uh, to win souls. Now, remember, we're talking about a healthy church, right? We want our church to be healthy. Why? So that the mission field can be healthy. Prayer, a life of prayer on the part of the church is one of the essential elements of evangelism And a healthy church. You know, sometimes we compartmentalize. And so we come together to pray. And then sometimes we come together to do evangelism. You can't do evangelism without prayer. Uh, There are uh, three things I want you to think about. Number one, the prayer-tempered church can live as though God is in control. You know what's wrong with the world is they don't, they don't see the church living any differently than they do. We struggle over money. We struggle over health care. We struggle over this. Uh, we will go outside of uh, our trust in God to get uh, assurance humanly that we're going to get something. Uh, we, uh, we struggle over a house. We struggle over a car. And the world looks at us. And they don't see anything different. Paul said if you're going to uh, be an evangelistic church, which is the second part of this, uh, uh, prayer-tempered churches can please God's overall will for men to be saved. Until you're a prayer-tempered person, you can't please God about salvation. Why? He says about the... Uh, We're to pray so that we can live a quiet and peaceful life. I don't have time to go into those words. We'd be here too long tonight, okay? But the whole idea is that you live this quiet, peaceful life. And the world sees that. And instead of, uh, you know, not living for God, they see something in you they don't have. And the church actually benefits the greatness of the gospel. 
but it cannot without prayer. And the third thing here is that the prayer tempered church will be in the ministry. Amen. And Paul says, uh, uh, because of this, I've received the ministry to the Gentiles, so on and so forth, and I will that every uh, man lift up holy hands in prayer. Why? Because that is the essence of the ministry for him to the Gentiles. So those three things in this passage are without question true. They're very simple things. But they are the most profound words that you will ever find for your church being involved in witnessing and winning people to Christ. When people come into this congregation, they should see a warm group of people who are living so closely to God that instead of being consumed with their own needs, they are consumed with the needs of others. And they're overwhelmed by it. You know, they, they just can't believe that this church would be so concerned about their welfare. And that requires that you pray. Because that doesn't come natural. Now, it's very important that you understand the context of this passage and the historical. If you don't ever remember anything that I've said, please remember this. Number one, there is always a historical setting of a passage. Don't ever violate the historical setting of that passage because you will lose the meaning of it. Okay, uh, There is a biblical context of what's in that passage. Make sure that you've studied the Bible well enough that you can say, this is biblical. Then uh, there is a book context. Always find out what's going on in that book. And understand why the writer is talking about the things he's talking about in that whole book. And see where your passage fits into that. And then finally, there's always an immediate context. The immediate context is the passage and the verses around it. Alright? So there are four contexts which you must clear the hurdle with. Or else you will make severe uh, misjudgment of the word. Now, uh, I think it's important that um, we have an understanding of what Paul is saying. The evangelistic church must be a praying church, so its witness will have the conviction of the believer's life. Your life is important to the giving of the gospel. Today, didn't we talk with these people about the things we were doing? Didn't we? The, the conversation just naturally went to that. And they were, uh, in some, way, uh, some ways, astonished as we told them all the things that your pastor and I have uh, joined together in doing. And God took care of. Amen. And there was no other source than what God did. No other source. Uh, it's important that the conviction of your life be... Uh, in accord with the gospel that you're preaching. Because people see you 
before they ever understand the Bible. Okay? So, in this passage, uh, the, uh, Paul is teaching that the believer must do this. The praying church will live so peaceably that the power of control lives expresses the presence of God in the world. Your life expresses God's presence. You say, well, uh, you know, people don't believe in God anymore. No, they don't believe in us. They don't believe that we're who we say we are. Uh, you can talk with them about God. Oh, they may have questions. But they'll, they believe in God. They know in their heart. They know in their mind that although they try to dissuade people, when you pin them down, I was on an airplane uh, going from France to, um, oh, I don't even remember where I was going. But anyway, there was a French girl sitting next to me. She looked to be about 20, 22, something like that. Her father was an educator. And so I, uh, I looked at her and I said, would you mind if I ask you some questions? She goes, no, that'll be fine. I said, I've been told in France that people don't believe in God. Is that true? And she said, yes. We no longer need a God. We don't believe in God. We don't believe in the church or anything like that. I said, wow, that's really something. Uh, and uh, I kept asking her questions. And uh, I would always go back to the fact after each question, I'd say, boy, it sounds to me like you really believe in God. And at the end of it, she goes, well, I really do. <laughs> I believe in God. And, uh, you know, I was able to tell her about Jesus. You see, people believe in God. What they don't believe in is us. Because our lives do not reflect a powerful God. I was talking with your pastor this morning, and we were talking about uh, why are churches apathetic? You know why? Because people promise things they can't deliver. Kids are very susceptible to this. You know? That's why I, I, I like Brother Cover's always engaging the world. Okay? Always engaging the world. Why? Because your children need to see you engaging the world with your faith. Else they become very apathetic. Okay? I don't have time to go into that. But as long as you're engaging the world with your faith, they'll be right there with you. But apathy begins to build when they hear from the pulpit that there's a great God, but they never see that great God. You say, well, we can't demonstrate God. Why not? Pray. Ask God to meet in your church and to give you the power. Now, don't just sit there and have prayer meetings. You've got to engage. You engage and they'll see God. I guarantee you. Uh, we, we extend ourselves sometimes to the point that uh, uh, I don't eat for a couple of days. I am praying my heart out that God will do this thing. You know? And the Lord's never let us down yet. And we engage even when we don't have the ability to do it. 
but we know this is God's will. I have a little secret formula. I'll share it with you. I asked the Lord, Matthew 7, 7. I said, Lord, please, this is, you know, we, we need to do this thing. And then I go out and I seek him. And I'll seek him here and I'll seek him there. And uh, as I go, I learn more and more of what God wants. And then I pray, Lord, please, there's got to be a door here someplace. I'm hitting walls and a door will appear. And I knock on that door. And if that door opens, I don't let my coat hit my backside until I'm through it. Because God's on the other side. I always tell people, if you want to be where God is, you have to be on the forefront of the battle. He's not in rest and relaxation. And you've got to stay on the edge of where he is. Our doctors will tell me often, they'll say, look, you can take us anywhere you want to. We'll, we'll, we'll rough it. Uh, now, they like it better if they don't have to, but they'll rough it. They said, the only thing we require of you is that when we get there, God's there. So you better know him. And this church ought to know God. And the only way you will ever know God is when you spend intense prayer. And prayer tempers your life. And there is nothing wrong. We have a policy at Operation Renewed Hope. We never beg a man. There are times we don't have enough money. But we refuse to beg a man. But I'll beg God all day long. I'll plead with him. I'll say, Lord, you can't walk away from this. You can't, you can't be uh, aloof from this. You've got to be here with me in this thing. I can't do it without you. And when your young people see you pray that way, they'll say, my dad knows God. I've seen many times where he got on his knees and prayed about something, and it happened. It was wonderful. You know, nobody can get over answered prayer. Did you know that? Even the hardest heart of the hardest sinner can't overcome the truth of answered prayer. And when a church is seeing answered prayer, and they're living a quiet life... People come together and say, I'm so upset right now. Uh, and I just need the church to pray for me because my aunt's dying and she's one of the closest persons to me in this world. And that church gathers around her and bows their head before God and pleads for this woman's ability to handle the circumstances and surrenders to God. And says, Lord, we want her to live. But if it be your will, we accept her death. You know, when you can accept God's will, regardless of what it is, there is complete peace in the world. There are times whenever I'll pray and I'll say, Lord, if I'm supposed to fail, I embrace it. And I do it just like this. I take my hands up as I'm praying and I put my arms around something which I cannot see and I say, Lord, 
I embrace total failure and ruin for your honor and glory if that is your will. And you know something? God's always answered. The church's prayer life is essential to a church's ability to give the gospel. Paul is teaching Timothy that the prayer-tempered life is the first spiritual weapon. He says, first of all, I say to you, that word first is Greek, and the Greek means first in order of importance. You know, we think it's uh, this or that. No, Paul is telling Timothy in the city of Ephesus the most important thing that you can engage in, the very first thing when something goes, uh, comes along is prayer. Bend your knee and pray because it is the strength you need to overcome the world. Uh, it's important, uh, he was telling Timothy that the prayer-tempered life is the first spiritual weapon for the warfare against the destructive power of an evil world like that of Ephesus. Now, until you understand those words, you'll never understand the two books of Timothy. Timothy was in the town of Ephesus. It's a seaport. It was on the coast of modern-day Turkey. Okay? It was directly across from Macedonia and Greece. Uh, and the Aegean Sea was right there. And so the, the uh, uh, ships would come into the port and dock. And if you've ever been to a port town, you know what that means. It can be a real rowdy town. Because these people come in... Uh, they've not been in church. Uh, they've been at sea. And they're out at sea many times because of their lifestyle. And it's the only place they can go where they find any real success. I want you to think about this. It is important to know the peculiarities of Ephesus to understand Paul's admonition for the church to be a praying church resulting in a quiet and peaceful life. Ephesus was the home of Diana, uh, the goddess, Artemis, as she was called. Uh, they said she fell from the sky and landed in the field. She was a goddess of fertility. Uh, people would worship her hoping that they would be bountifully blessed with great crops, great children, and so on and so forth. Uh, and when Paul came to this town and, tied it, uh, and Timothy was given the responsibility of pastoring this church, he immediately told Timothy, Timothy, only by prayer. That's exactly where we are today. If we expect to find anything that will answer this very wicked and strongly evil world, it is only through prayer. Only. Uh, listen to, uh, I, I'm going to read you something here. Uh, this is a, 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 a history book talking about Ephesus and Diana. Under the shadow of the temple of Artemis, uh, Diana, 
ghostly priests and miracle workers abounded. Uh, between the occult worship of Artemis and the widespread practice of magic, the city was preoccupied with the black arts. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 19, I don't have time, but you'll find out that when Paul was there, over $50,000 worth of, or 50,000 uh, gold pieces and silver uh, books were brought and he burned them. They were magical incantation books. They were just plentiful there in that town. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 19, Paul did some very unusual miracles. So many unusual miracles to confront this unbelievable way of living that they actually asked him to pray over handkerchiefs and to take those handkerchiefs to other people for healing. This was a time where Paul was engaged in the greatest fight against the evil of Satan that we've ever found in the New Testament. And his admonition of Timothy to Timothy in this great battle against Satan and the horrible things, the pornography, the uh, prostitution, uh, all of the things that were going on in the worship of Diana, first of all, you've got to pray. And if you're not praying, if you don't have a prayer-tempered church, you can't fight a world like that. And that's why the church today struggles against the homosexual movement. We struggle against the abortion. We struggle against the, um, uh, uh, the things that are going on uh, in the abuse of women and children. And we struggle. We struggle with race relationships. We struggle and the only way to handle these things is through prayer. Amen. That's the only way. That's your weapon. That's where you will find a great source of peace. And the world will see that when they come into contact with this church. And they will desire it. And your life will be part of the conviction of those people listening to the gospel. Uh, this made the residents easy prey to false magicians and vulnerable to demonic penetration. She was the home of criminals and the temple possessed the right of asylum. Boy, isn't that interesting? That's exactly what we're facing right now. The right of asylum for people who break the law. Uh, there were the famous charms and spells called Ephesian letters that guaranteed to bring protection on journeys, children to the childless, uh, success in love or business. From all over the world, people came to buy these magical parchments, which they wore as amulets and charms. Into this very dark Ephesus, God brought Paul and Timothy. How do you witness to this world? On your knees. That's the only way. Because this world is controlled by a power that we 
cannot in our own strength fight. We can only offer the power of God if we are praying. We can make plans, we can have money, we can do all kinds of things. But until you find the strength of God on your knees, this world will run roughshod over you. And churches all over this country are changing how they do things, changing their standards, changing the way they think, giving up their doctrine. They're doing everything but praying. And so we must have uh, a world held at bay by prayer. Prayer is the most important complement combating those forces which would strip the church of its witness. If the church wish, wishes to effectively please God, uh, who will have all men to be saved, and that's what he says, it pleases God that the churches pray because he wants all men to be saved. Uh, only by this can the church create a consistent life message through believers which radiate the witness of Christ to a secular world. And they have control over their emotions. They have control over their fears. They have control over their actions, their outbursts. How many times does the church have to be invaded by the authorities of the land before we understand that without prayer, every sin which that world out there commits can be committed right here in these pews. Our outbursts uh, and our defections. Prayer brings us the great... Now, do you believe in answered prayer? I do. Uh, I want you to know something. I learned a long time ago. The first thing when my eyes open in the morning is I pray. I simply say, Lord, this is going to be a long day. I'm going to be real tired at the end of it. And the older I get, the tireder I get, and the sooner I get tired. Okay? And I say, Lord, please help. Then I start praying for each one of my children, their wives. i got three boys. I pray for their wives. And then I pray for all my grandchildren. I have a prayer album. I would, I, oh, you ought to do this. This is so wonderful. You know, these crazy phones. What did I do with my phone? It's here someplace. I know. Oh, no, I hope I haven't left. There it is. And uh, I, I really urge you to do this, Okay. Uh, this is one of the greatest joys I've ever experienced, okay? I go to my gallery, and I hit family prayer, and right there are all the people that I pray for in my family, okay? Every morning. You ought to do that. It's so much fun. I'll say to people, hey, can I get a picture of you? Well, what do you want a picture for? I want to pray for you. Oh, yeah. Boy, they love that. Don't they? You know, that smile comes up. Uh, and then, uh, if I can figure out this thing. Uh, I love computers. I hate phones. But anyway, I have a, a prayer list with all the friends and our ministry people that I pray for every day. 
and I'll sit there and uh, I'll look at, uh, uh, this is Brother Tom Johnson and Anna. They're in Cambodia. We work with them all the time. And every morning I pray for the children. They need prayer. Believe me, I know those kids. And uh, <laughs> I pray for Brother Tom and I pray for Anna and I say, Lord bless. And uh, then I start praying for pastors. And I've got their pictures, you know. Uh, here's our uh, last boot camp. There are almost 20, uh, 24 kids on this boot camp. I know each one of them and I pray for them in the mornings. And I pray for all the workers who help me with it, you know. I really strongly recommend that you get pictures of every person in this church. Okay. Put it on your phone. And every morning you spend a few minutes with God saying, Lord, uh, and it, it's hilarious to me because sometimes the pictures aren't all, all that great. So I laugh at the pictures, you know, it's kind of fun. And, uh, you know, uh, pray for everybody. You ought to have your pastor's picture, his wife, his children. And you ought to say, Lord, bless Brother Will today. Kind of upset at him. But you bless him anyway. Why? Because that's going to draw you together like you've never been drawn together in all of your life. This will not be a building. This will be the church. Because you are praying to God. I strongly recommend that you do that. Uh, we had a situation in our family. I'm not allowed to tell you the details. I'm just going to tell you this. I was praying and I, I, I told the Lord, Lord, this is something bigger than I can ever imagine. And so I just prayed and I would beg the Lord. And, and you know how a little kid will beg you for this. I know I was bothering him. Okay, I just know that I was bothering him. And, I, you know, you always feel like, well, this may not be top priority here, you know. And uh, this is kind of personal and, you know, da-da-da-da. So I just, you, you can't imagine how long I've prayed for this, okay. And uh, I went to a meeting. And a young man that was in my youth group. You know he's got to be old, right? He came up to me in that meeting. He said, I'm going to do this. And I just about fell down. It was the answer. It was exactly what we needed. That was about three weeks ago. God answers prayer. Before you engage in anything, get on your knees and beg God. I'll beg God all day long. And I know I'm a pain in the neck, okay? But keep in mind, the, the widow who came to the unjust judge, he said, I don't fear God, I don't fear man, but this woman's about to drive me crazy. <laughs> Fellas, you know what I mean. Uh, and uh, it's, oh, she would not quit, would she? And if you stop, you just lost it. Just lost it. Okay? You pray and you pray. I never will forget, uh, we had laid on a mission uh, into the jungle for one of the young men 
that was saved in our work uh, in the jungles of Panama. And he wrote us and said, I, he, uh, we had to get him out of the jungle. Uh, he had an acute appendicitis. We got him to uh, about eight hours away to the first hospital we could find. Saved his life. He surrendered to the Lord and is a preacher in that jungle right now. He's there tonight. And so we laid on the mission. Uh, the last time we used the helicopters, they were $18,000. Uh, and I figured, well, I'll put uh, 20 to 30% added. Uh, and so that would bring it up to something like, you know, twenty-one to $25,000. And I figured, it's okay. I got it covered. <laughs> we contacted the helicopter service through the missionary and the lady said, yeah, you talked with my father, didn't you? And I said, well, it was a man who was running the company. She goes, yeah, that was my father. He would do anything for anybody. She said, we've had to change our pricing because we were about to go broke because of him. And she said, the helicopters will be $36,000. 100% increase. And we had already told the brother we were coming, and there was no way in except with those helicopters. He's so deep in the jungle. And I had to have three helicopters running sorties back and forth, back and forth. But there were people in that jungle that needed to be saved. And so I said, okay, Lord, this one's a big one. And you swallow real hard, you know. And you just walk around saying, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? You know, because in your heart, there's that doubting, you know, and there's a little bit of anguish over the fact that she raised the price so much. Wrath and doubting, you know what I mean? And so we took that trip. I paid the $36,000. We took it out of our general fund, which is a puny little thing. I got news for you compared to what we do. And uh, the next month, no money came in. That was in January of that year. February, no money. March, no money. April, no money. May, no money. It just didn't come in. We were going to reduce our general fund by $36,000. And so, you know, we just prayed, Lord. I got a call in December <laughs> from our accountant. And the accountant said, you're not going to believe this, but I'm holding a $50,000 check. And I said, you're kidding. And she goes, no, it's anonymous. We have no idea who sent it. $50,000. And I said, ching. the helicopters got paid, okay? God can, friend. Don't doubt God. God can. This year we were working in India, in Kerala, and there were terrible floods. People were dying. I, I'm not kidding you. This, is, this was a horrible time. Disease was rampant. And we had a, a medical team from India, all made up of uh, nationals, 
from India. We had an evangelism team. We had 15 people. And they said, we can go and help these people, but we have no money. And I said, okay, uh, and, and you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, like, I have money? Well, I knew our general fund, God bless our general fund, you know. I don't know what we would do without it. And I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you $5,000 immediately. And as soon as you report back to me as how you're using that money and you demonstrate to me that you're following, you know, what we have asked you to do, I will think about sending more. Well, they did. They took it by faith. And they traveled all the way from Bangalore to the southern tip of India. You know how much that cost them? It was very expensive. And they bought medicine. And the whole team was trying to stay together. It, I know how hard it was on them. I know how hard it was on them. And so they wrote me back and they showed me. And they said, we need more money. And so I said, well, I got 2,000 more. So I sent them 2,000 more because I had it. And they used that, reported back to me and said, listen, the situation here in Kerala is terrible. It's bigger than what we thought. 600,000 people displaced by this flood. And I said, well, I, I can do three more. That'll make it ten. And they said, okay, we need it. I think finally... Uh, we did about $12,000 to help them do their work. And they just did a wonderful job. I mean, a wonderful job. And helped hundreds and hundreds of very sick people because of the flood. You don't, you don't understand how sick people get after a flood. It's terrible. And so I, I said, Lord, what are we going to do? At max, we've by the time it was about twelve thousand, I think it was. I can't remember. And by the time we got through, we had raised almost two thousand dollars that had come in. And so I was praying, Lord, uh, help us. January one, two, three rolled around, and all of a sudden, I got a phone call from the accountant. She said, "Hey." Got a $10,000 check here. And I said, that woman must be living right. You know what I mean? God supplied the money. And I could stand here for hours and tell you stories of where we engaged, God blessed, and for 27 years... We have paid every debt that we owe. And tonight I can tell you with great joy that Operation Renewed Hope owes no one anything but a debt of love. God takes care of things. Now, you know, my sons say uh, to me, they'll say, Dad, you all right? I'll go, yeah. They said, something's bothering you, isn't it? And I'll say, well... We got a few things that we got to pray about, you know. And uh, my son called me tonight before I walked in here, and he told me he was praying for me, you know. Now, folks, I just want to close with this. If you're going to engage that 
evil world. And we're going to talk about that one of these nights. If you're going to engage that evil world and you are going to do battle with the forces of Satan, you better pray. And you better get you a list of things that you pray about. And don't you stop until you've prayed and prayed and prayed. And then, after you've had those moments, you know, with your phone and all those ugly pictures, okay? Then, all day long, you just simply say, Lord, you got to bless. I'm in trouble here. This is not going to look good in the board meeting. <laughs> you know? <laughs> God can. By the way, this year, we gave out more money without income than ever before. At the end of the year, we had our board meeting. And I was thinking to myself, this is going to be a dilly. And the accountant sent the paperwork in. And our board member, who is an accountant, read it and said, this was the best year for the general fund that the ministry has ever had. God can. Don't you ever doubt what God can do. Engage in prayer and giving the gospel and God will bless this church. I'm telling you right now, you cannot fail to be blessed by God when you do those things. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to me. You've been awful kind. Father, tonight we give to you everything that we have. There's nothing that we hold back. And we ask you to help us to engage this evil world with a quiet and peaceful life filled with godliness and humility. Thank you, Lord. May we do it. I'm going to ask the pianist to play. If she would, just quietly play. Let's stand to our feet. Maybe tonight you need to come here and get on your knees and say, Lord, I will engage the world with great prayer. If that's what you would like to do, please come. If no one comes, we'll close. But if you would like to engage the world, would you come down here and dedicate yourself to it?